You can open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16 or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. There was a film in 1999 that was very popular. Some of you may have seen it. It was called The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves, I think his name is, uh, is done. It was a science fish fiction movie. Is that one of your favorites? Oh, okay. He knows it better than I do. I think I've seen parts of this movie. Um, it seemed, uh, it, it was very interesting. It was not, the idea behind it was uh, that there was, uh, I believe, a, a giant computer that had taken over the, the earth and that they needed the minds of people in order to keep it going. So they made this complex of all these people in there and, and they were sapping their energy and using their minds. And in order to keep them entertained in part of this whole thing, they would give them the illusion that they were living a life, going to work, buying stuff, doing things, and, and they were living in this matrix world. And uh, uh, one time, well, along the course of the movie, Keanu Reeves, the character that he played in there, was given a choice. He was beginning to ha- kind of have a sense that what they were going through was not real. And he was given a choice, and I forget, there were two pills, what was it, red and blue? And uh, one of them, if he took it, would get him out of the matrix. And the other one, if he took it, would just, I guess, life would continue on the way it was, I think is how it was. And so he had a choice, and he decided to take the pill that would take him out of the matrix and get him out of that lifestyle. And uh, it was quite a ride that he went on in, in the movie and uh, trying to uh, undermine all these different things. So if you saw that, you have an idea of what the movie was. If not, well, you can go see it if you want to, I guess. <laughs> but there's a, there was a reality that was there that seemed very real to the people, but actually was not going on. These things were not happening. It was an interesting concept in the movie that we could be part of a reality that is fake. We can be part of something that is just not really what's going on. As we get into this series, giving God something to work with, sometimes we have become part of a reality that is not true in the Word of God. We have become part of a belief that is not correctly founded on the Word of God, and we're believing for the wrong things. We're holding ourselves out. We're looking for things to change. We're looking for things to be done. But it's just not coming about. It's just not quite getting there. And we've got to make sure that we have brought ourselves back to the reality of the Word of God and that we are giving God something to work with. A lot of times we, are, we think we're giving God something, but it's not necessarily something that He can work with. And we have to make sure that we are staying in that, in that area. We're looking at a story here today about rebellion. When we operate in rebellion against God, we not only create a situation where God cannot bless us, but can actually find Him working against us. It doesn't always have to be that way, but we're going to take a look at some of these things and how this, uh, this can happen. Because we're going to look at some people who felt like they were in a reality where God was going to bless what they were going to do. And Moses is looking at them like, you don't know what kind of reality you're in. You have got this whole made-up world and where you play this kind of a part, and that's not God. It's kind of like their own little matrix. In Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. 
and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So this was one of the bigger rebellions that had occurred in Israel. And by the time this is all done, by the time to get to chapter, thousands of people were dead as a result. But Korah is one of the descendants of Levi. And I gave you some of the genealogies. I didn't make you fill in the blanks on that one. I just gave it to you. Right, right was uh, Kohath was a son of Levi, and uh, from him came uh, Amram, and from Amram we got Aaron and Moses. That's where they came from. But Kor- Korah came from Amram's uh, brother Ishar. So they're actually, uh, I guess, cousins. You would call them in this. And so Korah is looking over here at Aaron. You know, they're in the same family and. Kind of came from the same people. Hey, how come he's picked by God to run the nation? Aaron's picked by God to be the head over all the priests. And I'm just one of the ones who's a Levite. Just one of the ones who's taking care of the temple and things of that nature. And he kind of became dissatisfied with his role. And he kind of created a world in which this was, uh, he, was being, he had been wronged. And that Moses had taken something that didn't belong to him. Can you imagine creating a world like that and having that as a reality? You've got a lot of people who live in today's society who live in a reality that just blows your mind, doesn't it? I mean, some of the things they expect out of society, some of the things they expect out of the world, some of the things they expect to be done for them, it just blows your mind. How in the world can you think that all these things are going to... what they do? They had created this reality for themselves. They got leaders of the congregation involved. These were leaders, uh, these were, were good leaders. These were leaders, as it says, of renown. Leaders of renown. They were well known. They were well respected. Well, I put in your outline here, a rebellious person is in pursuit of what someone else has and feels that they are more deserving of it. That's what a rebellious person is. They feel that what someone else has should be theirs and that they're more deserving of it. Do we see that attitude or life in the, in the world today? My, you find it on the news. You find it on shows. You find it all over the place where people think something that I don't have, I should get, and you got it, and you shouldn't have it. And that's just an attitude that a lot of people develop. That's a rebellious attitude. We got to make sure we guard against that because you get into a rebellious attitude, God is not going to be able to bless you and you could actually put yourself in a place where God takes away what it is that you have. Now, generally, the rebel desires a position of authority that is above them. Generally, when you find a rebellious person, they desire a position of authority that is above them or more authority for the position that they have. But generally, there's going to be something about someone above them. You'll find this with rebellious children. What do rebellious children want? The authority of their parents. That they question the authority that the parents have for them. Isn't that what rebellious children do? What do rebellious students do in school? They resist, they challenge the authority of the teacher, the authority of the principal, the authority of the school. Who are you to tell me to do this sort of thing? And they, they, they begin to feel like I should be in that position that I should be able to tell myself what I am able to do. Rebellious people in a job. Who do they rebel against? The boss, the owner, the, 
people higher up in the company? That's what rebellion does. And this is what these guys did. Korah desired Aaron's position. He didn't see Aaron as a superior. He saw Aaron as an equal. He's a cousin of mine. And he desired his position. Verse 4, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Most people that are in a rebellious state, it's really tough to talk logic to them. You ever tried to do that? Have a rebellious kid and try to talk logic to him? Don't work. Have a rebellious employee and try and talk logic to him? Does it work? A rebellious student in the school, take them down to the principal's office, talk logic to them. Does it work? You can't talk logic to people in a rebellion. Because uh, their reality is all that's real. They're like in their own matrix. And you can't figure, how do you see this is right? But they do. So Moses says, you know what, let's not debate this. Let's just do this. Let's just show up and whoever God wants to do this, let him pick. And so Cora says, oh, finally I'll be vindicated. Because he feels like God's on his side. Can you imagine if he thought that God was not on his side, that he actually would have agreed to this test? If he, thought that, if he knew that he was rebelling against God, do you think he'd want to, to go out here and well, let's just see who God picks? I don't think he does. He really thinks that he's on God's side. He thinks he's heard from God. Most people who are rebellious think they've heard something. He says, do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So he, said, he threw it back at them. You're taking too much on you guys. Then Moses said to Korah, hear, hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him and the, or to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all the brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord and what is Aaron that you have complained against him? Now they don't listen to this. They're still feeling like we're right. We're going to be vindicated. We're going to be put into place. And this is what's going to go on. So Moses sets it up for the Lord to decide. He does point out, though, that they have not esteemed high enough what God has called them to do. Most people who become rebellious at some point don't esteem what they do for God as valuable. Sometimes they blame it on other people while other people haven't esteemed it as valuable. Sometimes they blame it on responses that they get. Sometimes they blame it on um, how they feel about what they're doing. Sometimes they blame it on, well, I feel like I should be doing more. I feel like I'm equipped to do more. I feel like I have talent to do more. Whatever it might be, they develop that attitude. Now, if you want to get into the duties of what uh, the Kohathites and such were supposed to do, you can go over to Numbers chapter 3, verse 27 to 31, and you can read about that. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from this. In verse 31, their duty include, included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And here's the authority that was set up. Verse 32, And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites who oversight, who, with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So the Bible 
It's written in the Bible, in the law, how this was set up. And they decided that they knew better. You never met anybody who thinks they knew better than the Word of God, did you? Verse 12. So Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram. These are other people in the rebellion. This is a different... They're rebelling against something different. They're not going after the priesthood. They are the tribe of Reuben. It seems to be some type of a... Uh, probably a contested a leadership role. And they wanted some kind of a more of a leadership role in, in things. Uh, but they were not contesting the priesthood. Korah was, was doing that. So Moses sent to call Dathan and Biram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. So the head that God put over the whole group, Moses, he says, come on up here. Let's talk about this. And they said, we're not coming. That's not good. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Boy, have they twisted the word. Look at what they did. God is leading them to a land flowing with milk and honey. They're saying you took us from one. Where did they take them from? Egypt. And they described Egypt as a land flowing with milk and honey. And you brought us out into this wilderness to die. And you, that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Who was Moses? Prince of Egypt. They see him as operating in that role and not the role that God put him in. God put him in the role of a deliverer. But they still see him as the role of a prince. Can you see why they're probably a little rebellious about something in the area of leadership? You're taking us in the wrong direction. You're taking us from good stuff into bad stuff. You're leading us in a direction to die. And you're not operating in a correct role, is what they're saying. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey and given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So they give all these as reasons why they're not coming up, why we're not listening to Moses. We don't have to listen to you. You're acting like a prince. You're not supposed to be doing that. You took us from something good, brought us into something bad. We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. He said, I haven't done anything to these people. So, so Moses says, he's angry, and he says, don't, don't accept their offering. <laughs> he's not going to intercede on their behalf and say, oh, you know, they're, they're whatever. No, he says, don't accept it. When they make that offering, God, don't accept it. And he gets mad. You ever got mad at something? Make sure you get mad at it for the right reasons. Sometimes people get mad at the wrong reasons. Moses got mad for the right reasons. God didn't rebuke him for his anger here. In verse 16, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take a censer, take his censer, and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the altar of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. So Moses accepts Moses' challenge. He thinks that having the people behind him brings on God's approval. He thinks that having the people behind him will bring about God's approval. Now, we see this all the time. How many times do you hear politicians, people that are leaders in this country, when they have a way that they want the country to go, they'll say, well, most economics, economists, economists say, most scientists say, the consensus is this. And they bring in, they don't tell you who they are. 
they just bring it. And if anybody goes against those things, they are lambasted. They are put up as, oh, they are, I think, what was the term that Al Gore used? They are outland, outliers or out, something like that. He, he called them one time when they were outside the, the school of thought. And so if uh, anybody who uh, comes up with a different theory, well, they're, they're wrong. They're not, they're not right. I put that quote up on Facebook this, this week from Margie Thatcher. I think we used it on one of the other services, but uh, I love what she said. Consensus is the absence of leadership. Consensus is the absence of leadership. Now, if you go back through history, every time that we've had a, a new type of, of way to run a country, the Greeks came up with a different way to run a country. The, um, every time you had a scientist who came up with a different theory, Galileo, uh, Newton, when they had a, a, was there a consensus behind them? In fact, most of the time they were trying to be silenced by all those who were around them. Most of the time any, we've had any breakthroughs in the area of science, in the area of politics, in the area of running countries, in the areas of, of, of any, anything, there had, the majority have been against it. Just because you've got a whole lot of people on your side does not make you right. You can have no one but one or two people on your side, and you could be right. How many did Daniel have on his side? There weren't many there, were there? When uh, Paul would get into a city taking the gospel, and they would, uh, the Judaizers would come in and stir up a rebellion, how many were on Paul's side? Not many. How many were on Jesus' side at the cross? Not many. When Jesus gave that great teaching, told them all, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, we're told that bunches of them left. They left them busloads if they had buses then. All kinds of folks left. Just because you have a lot of people does not mean that you're right. Because we've seen in history, a whole lot of people can be wrong. What you've got to make sure is that God is right. We've read stories in the Old Testament where Moses comes out of his tent and the entire congregation is lined up against him. He's got a handful of people that are on his side. And the rest of them are all against him. When he came down from the mountain, he said, who's on the Lord's side? And who, who said we are? The tribe of Levi. That's why they got selected to be the, the priest tribe. So that meant 11 tribes were against them and one tribe was for them. If, you just had, if everything just worked out in the averages, that'd be one out of 12. That's not very good numbers. You don't have to have numbers on your side to be right. You can also not have numbers on your side. Just because you don't have numbers on your side doesn't mean you're right either. What makes you right is you got Word of God. You got Bible for it. You got Scripture to stand on. That's what makes you right. And that's what you got to stand with. These guys think that we have the people behind us. We'll do okay. Verse 19, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Well, he just was angry with them, wasn't he? I don't know. If you're angry with them, I think he'd just kind of, Go ahead. <laughs> Go for it. Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all, of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and Dathan, and Abiram came out and stood at the door of the tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. If you see the whole congregation moving away from you, I think I would run. I think, you know, you just kind of go away. Have you ever been in the ocean or out in the ocean and you're watching all the people swimming over there and all of a sudden one person gets spooked by something, they, they feel something, they see, and they, they, you know, they, they holler out, shark! And they start running. What's happened to all the people? They move. They get out. They don't go over there and say, is, is, it, is it really a shark? <laughs> they, they move. They get out. We don't need to check that out. We just need to move. And uh, not, not here. Nope, they're, they get out by the side of the doors, got their kids, their wives, gathered all around them, and they're all looking on just defiant. What are you going to do? Feeling like God's on their side. And Moses said, By this you shall know the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart underneath them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. If you didn't know the earth had a mouth, apparently it does. With their households, and all the men with Korah and with all their goods. Swallowed them all up. They thought they had the people on their side. They got to understand, first off, people are fickle. The masses of people are fickle. They may have been on their side, but when they were told, separate, God's going to do something, they got out of the way. They said, well, you're on your own. We'll kind of stay, we'll watch over here. If everything looks okay, we'll come back. But um, they got out of the way. So their consensus kind of dropped down to a smaller number. And they didn't have as, as many. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. So they rebelled with Korah. Korah was rebelling. This is all at the same time. Korah rebelled because he wanted the priesthood, and these guys said, yeah, we want something too. We think we ought to have some leadership, whatever it was that they were going for. They all got together. Rebellious people tend to grab, gravitate together. Submitted people also tend to gravitate together. But rebellious people tend to gravitate together. They like people that are like-minded, going after the same things. So God makes his own choices here, and he chose to open up the ground, swallow these people up. They got consumed. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. Now, see, these folks are fickle. The majority of people in the world are fickle. They, they don't know what to stand on. The Lord said, get away from them. We're going to open up the ground and they're going to go away. He didn't say anything about opening up the ground for anybody else. So then they start running around. And they start uh, going, lest the earth swallow us up also. Well, they're not listening. They don't hear God. These are the people that Korah and these folks had on their side, people who don't listen to God. Most of the time, that they're, that's what 
rebellious people are going to have. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. That's the guys that were with Korah. They were out there. They're all offering their incense. They got their censers. And Aaron had their censers. Now here's the thing. Aaron and them were using the censers that had been made and crafted for the purpose of bringing incense before the Lord. But the sons of Korah didn't have access to those. They had to go out and they had to make some. They had to make some censers so that they could be able to do this. So all night long, they're making censers so that they can be able to have the incense put in it and they can go out before God with the fire. There's, um, well, let's, let's go on. You're, you're going to see the rest of this right here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scattered the fire some distance away. So because they were made for service to God, they became holy. The censer of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made, made into hammered plates as covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. Verse 39 is very key. So Eleazar, the priest, took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as the covering on the altar. If you go through the law, you go through the book of Leviticus, the censers were not made out of bronze. The censers are something that is brought before God, and they were made out of gold. Bronze looks like gold. Now Korah and his folks, when they, were off, when they would minister before the Lord, the areas that they ministered in were around sin. They dealt with a lot of the sin offerings. They dealt with a lot of the altars. So what they were surrounded with was bronze. They were used to bronze. And they made these things out of bronze. They probably didn't have enough gold to make 250 of them for one thing, but they had bronze. So they made bronze and they figured that would be good enough. They didn't consult the Word of God to say, hey, let's see what the Word of God has to say about how we're supposed to make these. They didn't do that. They didn't find out how are we supposed to bring this fire before the Lord. They didn't do that. They didn't consult the Word of God at all. They just went out on their own. And they just did, well, we kind of see some things, how they go. We'll just kind of do that. You ever hear Christians, you know, they, they hear a little bit about the truth, about how to have faith and how to believe God for something. And then they go out and they just try and imitate it. They just try and mimic it. They don't actually learn it. They just try and mimic it, just try and imitate it. They're not actually pursuing the knowledge of God. They're not actually pursuing the things of God. They just see somebody do something. They see the way that they make their confession. They see the way that they make their prayers. And they just kind of try and copy that. But it's not the same thing. It's like this. You can't make bronze censers. They may look the same, but they're not the same. And they're not the same before God. What the censers were to do was not what the bronze areas of the temple were supposed to do. And it was very different. And God made that distinction in the temple. There were gold areas. There were bronze areas. We've uh, spent time on the temple some time ago. I'm not going to spend all that time on it here, but you can certainly go back there and, and check out some of those things. So he gathers up the bronze and they hammer it out and they put it on an altar because bronze belongs on an altar. Now, there are, I, I put in my notes here, and it's not in yours. If you want to write it down in yours, you can go right on ahead. But there are four reasons we don't obey God. Four reasons, basically, that we don't obey God. One is ignorance. I don't know. You can't obey what you don't know, can you? If you don't know that God said don't do that, if you don't know that God said do this, 
If you don't know it, then you don't do it because you're ignorant of the thing. But along comes the, the time when ignorance goes away and you learn what you're supposed to do. Now you have a choice. And so for some people, they continue in the area of, of not obeying God because they disbelieve what they hear. Another reason for, for not obeying God is simply disbelief. disbelief. I don't believe that I need to do that. I don't believe that I need to go that direction. Why is it that some people don't tithe? Is it, is it because they don't know that the Word of God teaches that? No, most people know that the Word of God teaches that. Why don't they do it? Well, I don't believe that's for me. I don't believe that I should have to. I don't believe that they disbelieve it. For some reason, they don't believe that it applies to them. Why is it that some people partake in certain activities that you know from the Word of God are wrong? And if you go to them and you tell them the Word of God says don't do this, what do they say? Well, I don't believe that. So disbelief, that's another reason. After uh, disbelief, uh, just straight up disobedience. All right, I know that the Word of God says that, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And they're just straight up disobedient. I'm not going to do it. I know that's what it says, but I'm not going to do it. And here's the fourth one, outright rebellion. Now, rebellion is different from disobedience. When someone falls into the area of rebellion, it is because of some animosity between them and the one who is giving the, the, the uh, directive one who is giving the uh, thing that they need to obey. There is some problem with the authority there, as we already talked about. But in the area of disobedience, there is still a love for the one in authority. I'll give you an example. You gotta, when you, remember, think back when you were a little kid and your mom says, the chocolate chip cookies are for after dinner. Leave them. But she just baked them. They smell so good. You're so hungry coming home from school. And you don't want to wait until after dinner, right? So what do you do? Get in there and you sneak one out. You disobeyed, didn't you? You didn't disbelieve that mom said it because you heard mom say it. You didn't disbelieve that. You, just, you heard mom say it. You know mom said it. But you just disobeyed. Do you still love mom? Yeah, you still have fondness for mom. You still love mom. But I'm just not going to obey right now. I'm going dis to disobey because I simply, I want this. But then there's the outright rebellion. When outright rebellion comes in, that's when I don't like mom. I don't like dad. I'm not feeling real good about them right now. And I'm going to eat whatever it is I want to. That's rebellion. That's the difference between disobedience and rebellion. When you are disciplining kids, make sure that you know the difference between the two. Because if you treat disobedience like rebellion, you'll have a problem. And if you treat rebellion like disobedience, you will have a problem. If you go through the Word of God, you'll find out God does not treat disobedience like He does rebellion. Rebellion, He comes down hard on. People die in rebellion. When people are disobedient, they get corrected. There's a difference. Corey was talking about some things in the opening here about how God can, can correct us and how God can... can that, that's what, when we're disobeying something or we're just not following after something right, He, he comes in and He corrects us. He doesn't treat us like rebels. But when we fall into that area of rebellion and we have direct animosity against the one who's in authority over us, then it becomes different. And we see that God deals differently with that. So God had told him to separate Moses, who was just angry with them. He was interceding. Now he's interceding for them. He doesn't want them to, to fall into that fate. 
and he says, you, you take the ones that are rebellious, is basically what he's saying. The ones that have rebelled, deal with them. Don't deal with the whole people. The whole people have not fallen into rebellions here, rebellion here. Some of them are disobedient, but not all of them are rebellion. I'm kind of paraphrasing that for you. So Eliezer priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar. So they were burned up. I mean, the fire came down on these folks, and it just burned the 250 people who were in rebellion. It didn't burn anyone else. It just burned them. That's pretty good fire. I think God was the first originator of cruise missiles. He could pinpoint exactly where he wanted to get. He, he, he'd find them. You're not hiding from God. He came on down. He, he got just the ones that he wanted to do. As we, I don't think I filled this out for you in your outline, but brass is a type of judgment in the Word of God. Brass is a type of judgment. They served where sin consciousness was strong. Now, you may note this. Here's a way that you can tell rebellious people from other people. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side of God. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side of God. Most of the time that you hear these folks talk about situations, they always want people to be judged by God. They want people to be wiped out. They want people to die. They're in the, there's a rebelliousness of them. Now, if they're rebelling against God himself, then they're not necessarily looking for God to do it. They're looking for some people to do it. But rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side of God. Submitted servants to the side of grace. But rebellious people gravitate to the judgment side. Those who are submitted to God will generally gravitate to the side of grace. Look at Moses. Moses was one who submitted. How many times does Moses get on the side of grace instead of the side of judgment? He could have gotten on the side of judgment. Now he's not 100% on the side of grace. I put this in my notes. People who, who don't know God stay completely on one side or the other. People who are ignorant of God stay completely on the judgment side or on the rebellious side. Or on the, on the judgment side or the grace side. If you hear people talk and everything is grace and there is no judgment, they are ignorant of God. If people talk and all they talk about is the judgment side and not the grace side, they are ignorant of God. God desires to extend mercy. He desires to extend grace. But there are times he cannot do it. People who know God know where God is. Moses many times interceded successfully because he knew where God was. He knew God. And he accessed the grace side instead of the judgment side. Rebellious people seem to be drawn to the judgment side of God. Submitted servants to the side of God that is filled with grace. Listen to yourself sometimes. Do I always want people to be judged? Or am I looking for the grace of God to come into their life? We can, we can pinpoint ourselves. Where am I at? If I am too often on the, the uh, side of judgment, my next question ought to be, am I in danger of becoming rebellious? You ought to ask yourself that question. The Word of God says, if you judge yourself, you shall not be judged. Best thing to do is to judge yourself. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't wait for God to do it. Take care of it yourself. A whole lot better. So there's some warning signs that we can have. 
Now, gold is a type of the risen Lord Jesus. It's a type of the finished work. The gold in the temple is where the worship happens. Worship consciousness is strong where you see the gold in the temple. Bronze where you see sin. God's very good with that. They both look similar, but they're different. Now, you would think after a situation like this, that the children of Israel would say, oh, we need to be on God's side. We need to get rid of all that rebellious stuff and, um, and not fall prey to this. But verse 41, on the next day, after all this stuff, all these people burned up, all these people swallowed up, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. I mean, that is one powerful individual right there. Moses caused the ground to open. Moses called fire down from heaven and killed these people. If I thought that for the slightest moment, I'm not going up to his tent and saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. I'm going to hide somewhere. Don't want him to find me. If I thought that about him. <laughs> well, he, he didn't do that. He didn't go that way. And if you go on with the rest of the story, if you keep on following through, you're going to find out that Moses once again intercedes for the people. He realizes, all oh, this is going to move these people over to the judgment side of God. They are being rebellious. It's not a matter of disbelief anymore. It's not a matter of just diso disobedience. There's not a love there for the authority in their life. There's a hate for it. We got rebellion. I know what God's going to do. He gets Aaron. Aaron, we need to get busy. They intercede. They offer incense. They do things. But thousands of people died in a plague. They came. You can read the rest of the story and, and get the rest of that. But the next day, can you imagine that? The next day, you would think at least there'd be a little bit, a, a little bit of stuff going on. Just a little bit going on, you know, just, nope, the next day day. We're just, we're just not thinking about the things that are going on here, are we? Put in your outline this, popular opinion means nothing to God. God does not care where the, the, where the consensus of people are. Obedience is what he values. God doesn't care if everybody in the world, everybody in your world of friends think you are doing right. He said, what did my word tell you to do? It told me not to do that. And you did it? I did. I don't care who's on your side. That's disobedience to God. He wants obedience. When you give God obedience, he can work with that. When you give God ignorance, he can't work with ignorance. Not much he can do with ignorance. If you are ignorant, you have to hope for the compassion of God to be able to be acted on so that something can happen for you. We saw a few times in the Word of God where Jesus acted on situations because of compassion. The people were ignorant of what was going on. But he stopped and he jumped in there on the compassion side and he made things happen. If you are ignorant, there is nothing you can do to access the power of God. You've got to wait for the compassion or someone to be able to access the compassion of God. Moses accessed the compassion of God on behalf of Israel and kept them alive. That's, that's one thing that will, that will come about. But if you, ignorance, you know, you can be, ignorance can be cured. You just got to go into the word of God and learn some things. Just because you're ignorant doesn't mean that you're protected. You've got to get over that ignorance. You've got to, you've got to do something. Disbelief. Well, if you uh, just don't believe, that you've got to get some belief in that. 
you better find out, did the Word say this? If the Word said it, you better believe it. You may not like to believe it. How many times has the Word of God said something to us we didn't like? I don't like that, so I'm not going to believe it. Well, that's not the way you ought to go. If the Word of God said it, you ought to have some faith in it, believe it, and get going. That'll give God something to work with. If you give God disbelief in the Word, He can't work with that. If you give God disobedience, well, I know that the Word of God says that, but I don't want to. I am not giving God anything to work with. We may be involved in certain activities that the Word of God says, don't do it. And if I continue to do it, I know the Word of God says not to do it, but if I continue to do it, I'm disobedient. I am not giving God anything to work for on my behalf. And I get mad at God for why these things are going on. There are sometimes people we're not supposed to be around, associate with, or have as close friends. Not saying he never says don't associate with the heathen, but he says, you know, there are certain things that you ought to do. Your close friends ought to be born again, spirit-filled, God-loving people. Those are the things you ought to be, be getting a hold of. So there's disobedience. But if you've got outright rebellion, not only have you not given God something to work with, God is going to work against you. Because in rebellion, you hurt other people. In rebellion, you pull other people in. Don't do it. You want to give God something to work with. He works with faith. He works with obedience. He works with us putting the word to the test. Put in his word. He, he works with us acting on his word, having faith, and we act on it. That's what, he, uh, that's what he works with. Give God something to work with. Don't just pray and say, well, it's all done. No, when you're praying, what is God going to bless? If you're looking for a job, what do you need to do? You need to give God something to work with. You need to go out there and put in some applications. You need to go out there and talk to some people. And as you do that, you, you talk with God. Father God, I thank you that you're working on my behalf. I thank you that I have favor in these interviews. I thank, the, thank you that and you, you thank them, you pray, you believe, but you give them something to work with. If you need your financial situation to, to turn around, well, it's great to pray about it, but what do you need to do? I need to give them something to work with. I, 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 there's gotta be, if you're at a job and you need a raise for that job, I just can't sit there and say, well, Father God, I think I deserve a raise. I think I need a raise. Therefore, I should get a raise. How many have ever wanted that? Give them something to work with. Make yourself indispensable. I saw this post up on Facebook. Uh, I don't, think, don't know if I posted it up for myself, but uh, I think it was 25 ways to make yourself indispensable at work. Anybody see that? That was good stuff. I'll see if I can find that. I think I saved the article for, for something. Uh, Brother Doug, Doug Jones put it up. 25 ways to make yourself indispensable at work. If you want to get a raise at work, make yourself indispensable. Make it so that they say, we, we couldn't do this without so-and-so. Oh, man, they're one of the most valuable employees that we have here. When you're there, work hard. Give them something that they can, they can act on. Give God something that he can bless, and he'll do it. He'll do it. If you've got a business... You know, we, we have a business with the, with the bunk beds. We got to give God something to bless on that. What do we got to do? I got to keep putting advertisements out there. I got to keep putting feelers out there to, to, to get things. We answer requests that people have about bunk beds and, and we, we uh, you know, answer them back. We email them back, give them the information that they want. 
And we thank God. Thank you, Father, that these people are, are seeing our ad. They're seeing our ads. The people that have bought bunk beds are talking to other people and spreading the word. We, we always have that. We've got to give God something to work with. Because people don't just show up at your door and want to give you money. Right? It'd be nice. <laughs> but we've got to give him something to work with. But here's what happens. When we keep working in a, in a direction, finances, health, healing, uh, job searches, uh, in relationships, family situations, when we keep working and keep pursuing and keep going and we aren't giving God the proper tools to work with, we can become disobedient with the end result of becoming rebellious, angry at the one who is over us. Because how unfair it is that our situation hasn't changed. Yeah, we can get there. I mean, I've been there sometimes thinking that, boy, my situation is just not fair. How come I have to keep when so-and-so, when other people, don't do it. Don't let that come in. You keep on going on. You keep on doing what, but keep looking. Father God, what is it that I need to do that you can bless? In my job, what is it that I can do that I can bless? You know, you, and you can do this. Whatever job you're in, don't just stay with your job. Investigate. What else can I do? I mean, don't, don't be in rebellion and, and take on stuff you're not supposed to do. But find stuff to do. I think I told you the story before, but I was in a parks and recreation job. Worked for the, uh, the township. I guess it's actually the only government job I ever had. Because I guess it is a government job. It's a township. And I was working for the park, and my, my job description was keep order in the park. And that's what I did. I kept order in the park. And I told you some of the stories of some of the disorder that tried to come in. But among those other things, they had some other activities that went on at the park. One of them was a basketball league. And so uh, there was a person who was supposed to run in, in the township building who was supposed to run the basketball league. And so uh, as things developed, he needed feedback on what was going on. So I would tell him about different stuff. And sometimes the rain would come in and we'd have to call people. I said, just say, would you like me to make the phone calls? Oh, yeah. Can you do that? Well, yeah, I got a phone right here. I'm just sitting here watching the park. I'll make the phone calls. And I'd call all the people in the league and I'd take care of that. And then pretty soon I was running the schedule of the league. I was actually scheduling the referees. I was doing all the stuff with the league and it wasn't in my job description. It was in someone else's. But I worked with them and I told them, you know, I'll do this. I'll get this done. And when I left that job, they came to me and they said, you did a, spe you did a spectacular job down here. This park has never run so well. This park has never gone on so well. And you did other stuff while you did this, if you'll come back to us next, next year, we won't have you just run a park. They promised me a, a job in the township somewhere, doing something higher up. They were going to move me up into something. They didn't know what yet. They said, but you come on back. You want to work here. We're going to find, I just never, I didn't, I went to Tulsa and I stayed down there. I didn't come back in the summer and I didn't go back there to work. But if I would have, they, they would have done that. I had that even with the Ken's Pizza. They sat me down and said, if you'll stay We'll work you into the, into the company, into, the, the, uh, into the, the, the office. We'll work you in the office. You got in the office in this restaurant. You had a company car. You had a salary that put you on the high end of uh, income in Tulsa. And uh, all your benefits were taken care of. And you pretty much worked Monday to Friday, which is unusual for a restaurant job. Uh, some, some weekends here and there, but most of the time you work Monday through Friday. And he said, if you'll stay with us in three years, I guarantee you'll be in there. Why? Because God has given us the ability to find out 
what needs to be done. And to work within the system to do it. To work within people that are there and to, and to do it. And to, and to find it. I thank God every time I've talked to an employer that both of our kids have, they, just, they speak highly of them. I talked to people that have hired my daughter and they'd hire her in a second to do anything else. Oh, we'd give her this and we'd give her that. She's never, she doesn't leave jobs and not be able to go back to them. I walked into my son's place of employment, both of them. He had a place at a hardware store and he had another place where he's working now. And they, every time we'd walk into the hardware store, they would tell me, oh, he was the best person we've ever hired in years. Every time we walk, I mean, it wasn't just once or twice. Every time we walk in, best person we ever hired in years. That's what they, they, they said about him. I walked in, only walked into his uh, current job one time. I was met by this big old guy. He was a for, was he foreman. I forget what he was. He was big. I mean, he was big. And I'm coming in. I don't know what to think about. You know, you're coming into it. He's big. <laughs> and, hey, what you doing? Uh, I'm here to see my son. It's his name. Christian? <gasps> You're a Christian's dad? Oh, come on back here, he says. <laughs> oh, his countenance all changed. He took me on back there and he said, oh, he, every time I walk by, oh, this is Christian's dad. This is Christian's dad. Oh, he is so proud of that. He said, he's done such a great job and he bragged on him and bragged on him about how good a job he did and what he's able to accomplish. Oh, we love this guy here. Oh, he is so good. I walked into Naz's place of employment. Every single person I saw in that place told me how good of a job Naz did, how fantastic he was at what he did. And he just has an eye. He'd go out there and he'd see these things and, and do, do these things. And that's, that's good stuff. That's good. Mercy tells me over her job. She, she has to turn them down. That's a good, that's a good place to be. Have to turn down work. <laughs> and you all have stories like this? How, how, good, how good it is? How, how neat is it? That when they have promotions, that um, they seek it. Ray tells me how they sought after him for a different promotion that they had at his job. Bruce tells me about some of the places, the, the, place, the bridge he's at, how they seek after him and, and promote him. Jolly, how many times has he given us testimonies that they, they keep seeking after him to give him a promotion and to give him, give him more on that? Susan tells us the stories over at her job, and they're trying to move her into different things and, and, and help her out. I mean, Kathy was just talking about somebody who just wanted to give her a job, a big promotion, but God just didn't give her the peace about it. And so she listened to this, the Spirit of God on that. And, uh, and I mean, so many of you. Vanessa gets bonuses on her job when other people didn't get any. Huh. Angela talks about her job and how they just love her on, on that one. I've been to her place, and I know that they love her over there. They tell me. This is what you do. Make yourself indispensable. Make it so that your place of employment could not imagine doing what they do without you. Don't just stay with what it is that you're doing. Go out there and find, what else can I do? Go out to the, to the boss. Is there, is there something else I can do to make your job easier? To, and, and if you do these kind of things, then people find a way to have blessings come your direction. Give God something to work with. But if you are rebellious on your place of employment, how much blessing do you think you're going to get? See, if you're disobedient, if you're ignorant, don't be doing that. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't stay ignorant. Christian was telling me the story over his job that uh, I think one guy who's been there 20, over 20 years runs two machines. 
And I think within a couple months, Christian ran all but two. And I think now he runs them all. Don't, don't stay ignorant. You may, you may start on your job ignorant. Don't stay there. Learn. Find out how to do the other things. So if you need to, you can fill in. You can go over there and, and, and take those things over. And you're giving God something to work with. Give God a person that he can bless. If you're in business and, and you're, you're in business yourself and you're going out there to do work for people, bless them. Bless their socks off. Be kind. Be nice. Be lovable. Watch your words. Use words that are encouraging. Use words that are conducive of people wanting to come back to you and order again. Do whatever you can on, on service. I've told you the stories when I was over in Kelchner's Horseradish, delivering horseradish. Our company had a policy that we don't stock shelves. I changed that policy for the South Jersey Shore only. They didn't change it for anything else, but I did talk to them about it. It says, we need, I need to do this. And because I was able to serve so many in a the day, they said, if, if, if that works out better for you, then go ahead. And I gave them so much service. I watched their orders. I made their, their orders for them. I watched their inventory. I rotated their stock. I did all the stuff for them that when other people came in to try and take some of my business away, my customers said, we don't want your stuff. We don't want your stuff. One guy who was down in there, I completely put out of business. Why? Just because I was helping people. Just because I saw an opportunity. Look at the opportunities that God has. God has put opportunities in front of you. When they're there, do them. Do them with a joyful heart. Do them with gladness. Ask for God for wisdom on how you can do what you do better than anyone else. What did it say about Daniel and the things that he did? Whatever the king said in his hand to do, boy, he, he was blessed. Far above all the others. His buddies, when the king set stuff in their, their hands to do, what happened to it? God blessed it far above all the others. That's what you're believing for. That's what you're looking for. When you go into work, you say, God, whatever they put in my hands will be blessed far above all the others. Why? Because I am seeking after you, because I am obedient to you, because I will listen to you, and I have the favor of God. You're giving God something to work with. Too many times Christians just want to, well, Father, God bless me on my job, and they show up at the job, and they have a down face, and they just put in their hours, and they, they, don't, they don't go over and above. If you get an attitude, how many of y'all, have you ever been on a job like this and the attitude begins to come in? They're not paying you enough. They're worth more than they're paying you. I can't believe these people doing this. And that rebellious attitude can begin to infiltrate you. It infects the way that you do your job. And it comes across to other people. And they won't look to bless you the same way they would otherwise. You keep a guard on that attitude. You don't let that attitude come in. You say, I will not have that attitude come in. I thank God for the opportunity I'm given. And when you go out there and you do the thing that you do, you do it better than anyone else would ever do. People my daughter's watching the kids for, they, uh, they wanted her to move to Buffalo. That's how good of a job she did for them. One day her to move to Buffalo, pack up and go. Well, she's not going to do that. First off, Buffalo is a horrible place to live. <laughs> Especially if you don't like snow. <laughs> Now, it's, uh, but you should have those choices. How many would like to have choices where you're turning down stuff instead of trying to find stuff? That's better. It's better to have choices of turning down stuff than trying to find stuff. But give God stuff to work with.
Be on guard against rebellion. Watch out for disobedience. Watch out for it. Don't be disobedient. Watch. Get rid of disbelief of the things that God has said and cure ignorance. Get it out of your life. Because ignorance will hold you back. Just because you're ignorant doesn't mean that you're not responsible. A lot of times we get this idea that if I'm ignorant, I'm not responsible. Yes, you are. You just don't know it yet. Get out there. Cure that ignorance. Whatever your job is, learn more about it than all your peers. Do better at it. Excel. Read over the book of Daniel and just get his attitude. Seek to excel. The Word of God says that in Daniel there was found an excellent spirit. And that excellent spirit God was able to bless so that the king was thinking of putting the entire kingdom under a foreigner. Daniel. The entire kingdom. Everything under Daniel. For a foreigner, a conquered nation, he was going to take who was a guy who was a prisoner and put the entire kingdom. Uh, and it was not just a, a country. It was, a, it was an empire. He was going to put it all under Daniel. That's what God will do for you if you give him something to work with. But be careful. Core is a great place for us to learn. Be careful of these four things. Ignorance. Disbelief, disobedience, and outright rebellion. God cannot work with those. But you cure them. Oh, God can work. He can work on our behalf. Thank God for that. Father, we just thank you. Just stand up with me. We thank you, Father, for the help that you give us on our jobs. You have called us to excel at whatever it is we put our hands to. Some of us have jobs that we show up to every day. Some of us have businesses that we show up to every day. Some of us are self-employed in other ways. Some of us are looking for work. Whatever it is that we're doing, Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. That whatever it is that we set our hand to, it will be successful. That we will pursue you on our job. And we will keep our attitude right. We'll give you something to work with. And you will cause us to excel to come into abundance and whatever it is that we do. If you can make one like Joseph who's sold into slavery, put into prison, come into a place of abundance because he had that attitude in every place he was at. What can I do? How can I exceed expectations? How can I do more than what's expected of me? He just always had that attitude. No one could take that away from him. And eventually took him into the throne room. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We can learn from the stories of Korah and those that were in the rebellion with him. We can learn what not to do. We give you those kind of things. You can't work with it. And one, you'll actually work against. But you desire to show yourself strong on our behalf and to help us. If we have wrong attitudes at our job, we have wrong attitudes in our business. We've done some wrong practices. We want to hear from you. When we do hear from you, not be in disbelief and not, certainly not be in disobedience. But when we hear, we listen. For you will cause our hands to be successful at all the things that we do. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.